It's good to see all of you this morning. It's good to see all of you. Um, I'm grateful to be able to stand in for Father Aaron this morning, uh, as if anybody could stand in for Father Aaron, right? Uh, but uh, a few years ago, my dad, when I was a pastor, my dad had a traumatic brain injury. And um, the community that we were in at the time really gathered around me as a pastor. And the people that blessed us most were the people who just took things off of our plates. <laughs> um, and so when I got the call, I was like, absolutely. Yes, let's, you know, give me five minutes to think about it. But probably, yes, we'll go ahead and do this. So, um, and Father Aaron was supposed to speak about the final judgment this morning. And I know people will go to great lengths to not have to preach about the final judgment. So I shared that with him when I felt like it was appropriate. So um, anyway, um, so let us, let us pray as we begin this morning and look at John chapter 14. Father, I thank you for your grace, uh, your grace that flows through vessels of clay. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, the, the vessel is never really uh, the thing, uh, but it's what's poured through the vessel. And so we thank you, Lord, for the presence of your spirit here among us to, uh, to train us, to challenge us, to comfort us, um, to give us the words that we need to hear in order to live faithfully for you in this world. Uh, we thank you for all these things. Pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and open them to John chapter 14. You can also look in your bulletin. So I want to start this morning just by asking you a question. Uh, we've been thinking a lot about the eternal city this morning. We've been thinking about this heavenly place, this day when heaven and earth will become one and we will, we will all dwell in a new place together as God's people. Um, and this city that we're waiting for, uh, the city that's promised to the disciples in John chapter 14, uh, this place that Jesus says he is going to prepare, holds out a promise for us. I want to ask you this morning, what promise brought you to Chicago? What promise brought you to Chicago? Now, some of you may have been born in Chicago. I imagine that's probably not the majority here this morning, right? Most of us uh, didn't grow up in Chicago. Most of us have, have moved to Chicago. Maybe some of you grew up in the suburbs. But I know that, that it's really common, as I listen to the stories of the people here in our congregation, over and over what, what we hear are stories of people coming to Chicago because they're drawn by the promise of opportunity, right? Maybe you grew up in a small town, and the, the options that were available to you in a small town in terms of vocation, in terms of sort of becoming who you felt like God was calling you to be or, or who you wanted to be, uh, the options seemed incredibly limited, and you felt constrained, and you looked and you searched for a city where you could find endless options, almost endless options. Maybe you felt, you grew up and you felt like your city was, you know, a bit parochial, uh, people were kind of limited in the way that they, they saw things. And so you wanted to be stretched and you wanted to encounter different things. You wanted to taste all kinds of different foods. And so it, it was because you were drawn to expanded options and a desire to grow and be shaped and challenged that, that you moved to Chicago. I know some people probably wouldn't state it this bluntly, but they said, you know, most people would, a lot of people would say, 
you know, I moved to Chicago because, you know, I wanted to become myself there. I didn't feel like I could become myself. I wanted to be actualized, and I didn't feel like I could do that where I was living. So I, I moved to the big city to do that. Places, places hold out promises to us. They hold out promises to us. And I think that's why it hurts so deeply um, when we feel like the places that we've put our trust in or the place that we've, we've expended so much effort to journey to or to go to and the places that we've sacrificed for break their promises to us, right? I feel like right now in Chicago, many people feel like Chicago has broken their promise to them. Chicago's broken its promise. I think people in Charleston, many people in Charleston feel the same way. People in Tulsa feel the same way. Charleston's broken its promise. Tulsa's broken its promise. So we live in a world where places hold out promises to us, but they're not really good at keeping all of them. And we can find ourselves deeply dissatisfied and deeply disappointed in the places in which we have put our confidence and our trust. That's why I think it's so interesting that um, when Jesus' disciples come to him at this moment when they are incredibly shaken, when they, when they start to put together that, they, that he is going to leave them. You've got to think about this. For three years, these guys have done absolutely everything together. They've essentially camped together every night for three years. They've shared almost every meal. They've walked every step together. They form this incredibly deep bond of relationship. And, and these men have invested all of their hope in Jesus. They put all their confidence in him, and they start to get the sense that he's leaving. And, and the word that the, the scriptures use to describe their hearts is that their hearts become troubled. They are worried. They're scared because Jesus is leaving. And Jesus knows what they need in this moment is comfort. And so he comforts them with the promise of a place. When they are nervous and scared, what he offers them is the promise of a place that's coming. Let's read this together. It says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Essentially, Jesus says, look, you guys, you're incredibly nervous right now, and I know that. But what I need you to do is I need you to trust me. I need you to put your confidence in me. You've trusted me this far in the journey, and I have not disappointed you. I have not let you down. So I need you to continue to trust in my Father and trust also in me. I don't want your trust to get broken. Don't let your trust falter. You've got to keep trusting me through this difficult phase that's going to lie ahead. That's going to be the thing that keeps us connected together is our trust. Jesus says, I need you to trust me, and, and what I need you to know is that I am going, and I am going to get a place, a place ready for you, um, and I'm going to prepare it so that it has everything that you need in it. 
so that when you get there with me, you will have everything that you need. But the most beautiful part about this place that I'm taking you to, the most beautiful part and the thing that makes it the place that will fulfill all of your longings, is that when I come to get you, I will take you there with me, and then we will be there together with each other forever. Out of all the things that Jesus could have said to describe this place, he really highlights one thing, and it's this. We're going to be together. You see, in God's way of working in the world, relationship is what makes a place a place. Relationship is what makes a real place. Relationship in biblical understanding, in the biblical way of viewing places, relationship is what makes something, changes something from a space to a place. Let me give you an example of this. So for years uh, back home in Arkansas, um, I would drive through this valley uh, that was north of my hometown on my way to my favorite campsite. My little brother and I liked to camp. I, had, I was a youth pastor then. I had Mondays off. We'd wrap up youth group stuff on Sunday. We'd both pile in, in his truck late at night, sometimes pile some kids in there if it was a holiday, and we'd, we'd, we'd drive north, and we'd, we'd camp like, it seemed like at least two or three times a month we would drive, and we, we would drive through this incredibly beautiful valley that was part of the Washtenaw National Forest, and we passed this place all the time, and I would see the sign for it, but I didn't really realize it didn't have a whole lot of significance to me. It was this place called Iron Springs. So when I was prepared to propose to Sharon, um, uh, I wanted to take her home to Arkansas to do that. Uh, and so I called uh, my, my best friend back home and I said, hey, I'm just trying to think of a place that would be like a really beautiful setting um, that, that I could take her and, and it would be like outdoors and there might be you know, maybe some water there and like it would be secluded so that I could really propose. And I had this whole picture in my head with candles and all kinds of stuff. And um, he said, oh, he said, you know what? I know the perfect place. You need to take her to Iron Springs. And I was like, what's Iron Springs? And he said, well, Iron Springs is that place we used to pass all the time when we were driving up to camp. Uh, he said, remember, it was on the left. And he said, I don't think we ever stopped there. He said, but I've stopped there several times, and I've just spent some time there. And essentially, Iron Springs was this beautiful old spring that flowed out of the ground, uh, this beautiful crystal clear spring that flowed out of the ground in, right, right in between these two big mountains. And um, where the spring came out, somebody at one point had built an old pump house. But the pump house was long gone, but what was left was the stone floor of the pump house. So what you had in the middle of the woods next to this babbling spring coming out of the ground, this little pool that had formed there, was this beautiful stone floor with a stone edge around it. And he said, you know what? You bring some candles, you bring some stuff, because you bring all the accoutrements and all, and he said, he actually, he probably did say accoutrements. He's kind of fancy. He's kind of fancy for Arkansas. So, um, so he said, you bring all that stuff. And he said, and I'll set it up. And all of a sudden, um, this space that had been just sort of a place that I would drive to on a, the way to another place that was meaningful became one of the most important places in our lives. Iron Springs became a part of our history, became a part of the widened story. And in a very important way, we also became a part of it because of what happened there. She said yes, by the way. <laughs> because of the words that were spoken there. It became a place for us because of the commitments that were made there. 
We've been back a few times with the kids. And we'll walk up and uh, tell them the story of the night that daddy scared mommy, thought she was taking her, she thought she was taking him to a seance in the woods because there were candles. <laughs> we were in Arkansas, so there was all these, you know, fears anyway about being in the woods. And um, we tell them a story, and we take them to this place that is so important for us. This little patch of land that looks like open, empty space, meaningless space on a map, is now a place. We didn't just establish a relationship with each other there. We established a relationship with the place. We bring meaning to it, and it holds meaning for us. You see, from a biblical understanding and from an experiential understanding, I think, too, Being able to look up a location on Google Maps doesn't make a location a real place. Until a location is populated by commitments and promises, until the threads, a few threads of the fabric of trust are woven into it, it remains mere space, a container where a place might spring up. Walter Brueggemann says this like this, the Old Testament scholar. He says, place is space which has historical meanings where some things have happened which are now remembered and which provide continuity and identity across generations. Place is space in which vows, in which important words have been spoken which have established identity, defined vocation, and envisioned destiny. Place is space in which vows have been exchanged, promises have been made, and demands have been issued. Place is indeed a protest against the unpromising pursuit of space. It is a declaration that our humanness cannot be found in escape, detachment, absence of commitment, and undefined freedom. I'm going to read that again. It is a declaration that our humanness cannot be found in escape, in detachment, in absence of commitment, an undefined freedom. When Jesus leaves, he leaves these disciples with the promise that he is going to prepare something for them that will meet their deepest human longings, a place that will be a real place, a place where he will be with them and he will be with us forever. Now, Jesus is, of course, pointing to the future here. And we've been talking a lot in this series about that future and how that future forms us in the present. And that is exactly the way we should hear John chapter 14. Because John chapter 14, in planting within us a hope for this place that is coming, if we become the people who trust Jesus along the way, will set the trajectory of our lives so that all of the spaces we encounter between here and that place can become places where the living presence of Christ can come and be transformed as well. That future impacts our present, how we live in the present. And this is not, in the scriptural understanding, a a new idea either. I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't just out of the blue, out of an unstoried void, promise a place for people. Because if you look back over the history of the scriptures, God's promises... God's promises always contained three parts. God, people, and a place. God, people, and a place. Because faithfulness 
the beauty of God in relationship with his people and the beauty of God's people in relationship with one another, that kind of faithfulness requires a context. It requires a place. It can't be lived without a place. It requires one. We see it all through the scripture. The places where human beings flourish are places where they are vitally connected to God, the source of life, committed to one another in real substantial ways and committed to the welfare of the place. Those are the three things that we see that cause human beings to flourish. And the fruit of these three commitments is presence, protection, and provision. When we live together with God in his place, we'll be with him and we'll enjoy and delight in his presence and enjoy and delight in each other's presence forever. We'll be to take him in and take one another in <laughs> forever unfiltered presence. We'll also know protection. No evil will befall us in that place because God will watch over the people in the city. We'll also know endless provision through the work of our own hands because work doesn't, work is pre-fall. It won't disappear in eternity, right? Um, work will not disappear in eternity but our work will be blessed. And, it, and we will till our own land. We will eat the fruit of our own soil. We'll, we'll experience sort of an unmitigated, uh, unmitigated, uh, the unmitigated value of our work. We'll know those three things. And those are the three things that human beings long for. Presence, protection, and provision. I want us to look for just a moment at one of the most tragic stories in the Bible. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. One of the most tragic stories in the Bible because what we see here is a person who loses place. Cain and Abel. Let's begin in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field... Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Do you see what happened right here? The fabric of faithfulness, which held the place together, starts to be torn with a lie. I don't know. I don't know. The place begins to fall apart. I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than than I can bear. The ESV translates this, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer, but the, the original language is, is, has one of the most interesting constructions uh, in it. Essentially, it says, 
you will be a restless wanderer in the land of wandering. A restless wanderer in the land of wandering. And when Cain hears this, that this is the consequence for his action, this is the consequence for tearing apart the fabric of faithfulness that existed between he and his brother, between he and his, the rest of his family, between he and God, and between he and the land, because he violated the land, too, with the blood of his brother. This is what happens when people get killed in our neighborhoods, isn't it? I remember there was a rumor that went through Hyde Park that somebody had had, had their throat slashed. Um, it ended up not being as major as we thought it was, but I remember for about a day and a half on my way to the train walking while we all thought this rumor was true. I remember the land feeling different. The land had blood in it. It was cursed land. It felt different. The neighborhood felt different. And Cain hears this consequence. And he says, this is the consequence. I'll be a restless wanderer in the land of wandering. It's too much for me to bear. I can't possibly bear the consequence of being torn apart from everything that makes me feel safe, from protection, from your presence, from provision. But this is the consequence of unfaithfulness. It's the natural consequence for unfaithfulness. Cain grieves and God relents a bit and says, I'll put a mark on your head so that if anyone harms you, if anyone harms you, harm will come to them. He returns to him in his mercy and his grace a bit of his protection. A bit of his protection. This vision of what it looks like to lose place in many ways reminds me of us in America. Because I, I think there are a couple of visions American, particularly American visions of what the purpose of place is that have co-opted the theological, biblical vision of place. And in many ways have turned us into restless wanderers in, land, in a land of wandering. I want to just talk really briefly about a couple of those visions that I think have co-opted this vision of the place that God holds out to us. The first one is a consumer vision of place. It's one that turns places into commodities to be purchased and bought. Turns places into, into it turns spaces into places that are just there really so that all of my needs will be met. It's a place that is tailored to my preferences. It's a place that, because it does all the things that I like, is a fulfilling place for me. I don't know, have you guys seen this show on FYI Network? Um, you don't have to admit it. Um, but it's, it's called My City's Just Not Into Me. Have you guys seen this show? This is a real thing. Um, this is a real thing. I went to the website. Um, sorry, I did. Um, I went to the website. And on this website, it has the My City Personality Test, in which you can decipher new locations that are best suited to all of your personal seeker personality and needs. You go on, the first couple of questions were so interesting. The first one was, do you like to bike places? 
Father Aaron, please stop biking places. Um, <laughs> do you like to do this? It starts by asking you all of these questions about what do you like? And then it narrows every, all of these places in its database down to find just the place that meets your needs. You guys, we believe this lie. We believe the lie. I believe the lie. I believe the lie that if I just find the place that's tailored and, and just tailored to my preferences and all the things I like, it's walkable. All the stuff we all like. We all like the same stuff, right? That's why we're here. You know, I mean, <laughs> if it's just tailored to my preferences, then it'll, it'll cause me to flourish. But that's not a biblical vision of place. That's not a biblical vision of place. There's also this, this low commitment vision. If I can just go to a place that really doesn't require much of me, pretty much allows me to do whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it, without having to think too much about others, that place is deeply appealing to me, to us, right? It says, I want to go somewhere where I can become myself and I don't have to depend on anybody else and I don't have to check in with and no one else depends on me, and no one else can wake me up in the middle of the night with a need. And we read that story about somebody needing something in the middle of the night in the, in the, in the Gospels, and we're like, what? Who does that, right? It's like, I want that. That's the kind of life I want, free from having to be distracted by other people's needs. I did this the other day. One of the kids downstairs rang our bell. They're friends with Carter. Rang our bell um, uh, to, get, to be let into the building to go to his mom and dad's house. And inside, I was like, you know what? I'm not answering you, because if I start this, if you give a mouse a, a, a cookie, <laughs> you know? And this morning, I just was thinking about this, and I'm like, I had to repent. I'm like, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for not letting that kid into the building. What if he, was, what if he had to go to the bathroom or something, you know? You know? I went out on the deck and looked at him and was like, done in my yard, you know? I mean, this is what we do. This is what we do. Because we believe the lie. We believe the lie that if we don't have to think about other people, that we'll be happy. That's not true. The place that Jesus holds out to us, everyone is deeply mindful and submitted to and sacrificing for everyone else. With him leading the example, leading the way in the most profound way possible on the cross. I think about the other sort of low commitment places we go to. All the digital places we go to. That we get just enough interaction and stimulation and sense of relationship that, that it satisfies a little bit in us, right? But it doesn't meet our deep longing. Sharon and I, last year, I typically try to be a little vulnerable with you guys. I'm going to be more vulnerable than... I ever have been in this congregation just now. But Sharon and I last year, she's getting nervous. Sharon and I last year <laughs> were transitioning churches, and we felt like we kind of lost a lot of our friend base, you know? And so it was at that point that I recommended we start watching Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I know, I know. I just, I, half the guys in the church are not going to be friends with me now. <laughs> so, and so... The reason why we did it was because there were like 700 episodes, right? It was like there was like a year's worth of material there for us, you know? 
and the witty banter, which is what everybody, this is why everybody says they watch Gilmore Girls, the witty banter. <laughs> and so, you know, every night we'd finish dinner and I'd look at Sharon and I'd be like, you want to go to Stars Hollow? And she'd be like, yep, let's do it. <laughs> and so last year, in our transition time, we literally spent every night in a place that isn't a place. <laughs> we spent every night in Stars Hollow, which isn't a place. But we went there because we wanted something that made us feel connected to somebody, right? That's something that made us feel connected to somebody. We're both so grateful now that we're, we're so connected to people in this church, right? We don't have to go to Stars Hollow anymore, <laughs> you know, because we've got deep connections. But they're costly, right? These connections cost us. You guys will love this. Whenever I said I'd volunteer to preach this morning, two different families reached out to me within 48 hours and said, hey, we hear you're preaching. We hear you have a busy week. Would you like for us to come watch the kids on Saturday because we know Sharon's working? You guys, that's a place. That's a biblical place where people are caring for each other, loving each other. You guys, we have an incredible opportunity as God's people in this world where the whole idea of place has been so corrupted and turned into something that it's not, we have an incredible opportunity to show people, to demonstrate for people again what it looks like to live in a place that's actually a place where people are deeply connected to each other, committed to one another, and are committed to the welfare of the place in which God has put them. I remember reading a book by a British sociologist who was, uh, who'd written about, who was an atheist, and who'd written about uh, modern religious social movements. And his, at the end of his summary, he said this. He said, as an atheist, I can imagine nothing better for the British Isles than a mass turning to Jesus. Because he had looked at the history of what happened when there was a mass turning to Jesus. And social problems were addressed and engaged in the, some of the most powerful ways in, in history when that happened. And he said, I couldn't get on board with it personally, but I think it's a great thing to happen. So how do we start? Well, it starts with us maybe rethinking the way we relate to Chicago, right? That it's not just a place that's here to serve us, but it's a place that God has placed us so that we might serve it. And I don't know about you, but that's a little overwhelming to me when I think about serving Chicago. So let's boil it down a little bit, right? I think what God might be calling us to do is committing to think through all of the different spaces that we inhabit and think about how we might bring the beauty of Christ honoring place into those spaces, right? One morning I got on the red line and uh, I get on at 47th, which is in between, uh, you know, in, on, on the freeway. And it's just so loud. And usually it's so loud. And I'm trying to just concentrate and get ready for the day. And I got on the red line. And I put my head down. And I was reading uh, my phone. Everybody else on the train reading their phone. We're all in this place here, right here on our hand. And um, the conductor came on the, on the speaker. And he said, he said, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Chad. And uh, you are on red line. Uh, trip number 465, 
And it is my honor and my privilege to serve you as your conductor this morning. It's my honor and privilege to serve you as your conductor, and it's my honor and privilege to take you to all of the places that you're going to go today where I trust that you will be a blessing. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and it was so funny because, I mean, like, everybody started looking up, and we all started looking at each other, not trying to make too much eye contact. <laughs> you know, we all started looking at each other, and... Um, and, and then, you know, we thought, you know, and I, I looked at the lady next to me, we smiled at each other, and I could tell, you know, we kind of had that knowing you're a believer too glance. We kind of did that thing, you know? Um, and we were like, he's got to be a believer. There's no way he's not. You know, and, and, so, um, and so anyway, I thought it was over, and then we got to the next stop, and he welcomed everybody again. And like every time the doors opened and closed, he, he would, he'd, he'd add more. He'd be like, I don't know what you're carrying today, folks. I don't know what you brought on this train with you. <laughs> Like, you know, it was just astounding until, like, I got off the train. I was like, yes, this is going to be a fantastic day. Like, I got to the office. I went into my boss's office, and he's a believer. And I, and I sat down, and I said, you wouldn't believe what happened. And we were both crying at the end of it. Like, I told him the story about it, you know. But this is a person who understands what it's like to take a space and transform it into a place for God's glory. A place where people, just for a moment, are connected to each other. And you may not be an extrovert. That may be beyond your wildest imagination doing something like that. But, but there are ways that we can all re-envision and imagine the spaces in which God has placed us. That they might be transformed into places that honor Him, that honor the future that we are all going to. It starts in those places. It really starts here, right? Right? Because we all know this. Like we could come in here on Sunday morning and, and we could hang up all the decorations and we could, we, could, we could do everything and print the bulletins and set them all out and everything like this. But if, if we weren't all committed to one another and really laying down our lives for each other and laying down our lives for the gospel together and helping each other lay down our lives for the gospel together, which I know we are doing. I know you guys are doing that. I know you are, right? So I'm not. But if we didn't have that, this would just be a space. But instead, this kiva every Sunday becomes a place. Becomes a place where the glory of God resonates. And we all get a taste together around the table of the day that is coming. The place that even now Jesus is preparing for us. We serve as a foretaste. I told one of my friends in the loop who's not, not a, a person of faith about the people that had called me and volunteered to help out on Saturday. And he looked at me and he said, it's a guy I love a whole lot. He's kind of crusty, but I love him a whole lot. He said, he said I need that. I need that. There's something about that that we all need, you guys. Everybody we know needs it. They just don't, maybe don't know it yet. So let's submit ourselves to one another, submit ourselves to the cross of Christ, submit ourselves to him. Let's trust him every step along the way, all the way to the place that he's preparing for us.
all the while watching his spirit by his grace transform the spaces that we are in into places for his glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.